the Jewish views on Night of Heroes 2018. After months of talking about it, we find out how the new Jewish Night of the Year went. A bold and dangerous family, Caroline Moorhead talks about her book set during the anti-fascist movement in Italy. And Richard Verber tells us why he's chosen to step down from his role on the Board of Deputies. But first, with a roundup of the Jewish News this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. The Jewish News, together with editor Richard Ferrer and former Prime Minister Tony Blair, has honoured the community's finest at a Night of Heroes Awards, which was attended by almost 500 people. The paper, in partnership with the technology company Labs, was able to tell the stories of ordinary men and women who had risen above difficulties and done the impossible. There were high-profile awards too for Rabbi Lord Sachs, who received a lifetime achievement recognition, and for broadcaster Natasha Kaplinsky for her work with Holocaust survivors. The Labour Party has finally expelled the controversial Jewish anti-Zionist Tony Greenstein after he made offensive comments online, including one which mocked the phrase final solution. The news was welcomed by the Labour Against Anti-Semitism group, which issued a statement saying Greenstein's views have often been highly offensive and entirely incompatible with the party's anti-racist ethos. He'd previously been suspended from Labour in 2016. The President of the Board of Deputies and a Jewish GP have clashed over the merits of circumcision in very young boys. The discussion was on the BBC's Newsnight programme after Iceland said it was banning the practice. The doctor, Anthony Lempert, said a person should be able to give consent and that there's an assumption that a child is going to belong to the religion of his parents. Jonathan Arkush from the Board of Deputies said he and his wife had no doubt and wanted to comply with the divine commandment in the Torah. Ofcom is investigating the television show Peston on Sunday after the veteran Jewish actress Miriam Margulies swore live on air before the 9pm watershed. The Harry Potter actress, who's 76, used the F-word while telling an anecdote about the Hollywood star Warren Beatty. Robert Peston was forced to apologise. And finally, the Manchester Beth Din has decreed that seven popular Fuller's beers, including London Pride, are kosher. Certification was awarded after an inspection at the Brewers' West London site. Fuller's managing director said it will allow a whole new group of customers, especially in the UK and America, to enjoy his company's brews. That's the news. Let's look at the sports headlines with Andrew. Thank you, Viv. Israel will have to wait at least another four years to win its first Winter Olympics medal. They did have something to celebrate after Alexei Baichenko and Daniel Samahin became the first Israelis to reach the final of the figure skating competition. However, despite sending its largest ever delegation, its overall campaign proved to be a disappointing one. The World Wrestling Governing Body has banned Iranian Alariza Karimi for six months after he was found guilty of deliberately losing a fight in order to avoid competing against an Israeli. Also banning his coach for two years, a statement said both were found to have acted in direct violation of its rules and disciplinary regulations. And finally, Israel will play Northern Ireland in an international friendly in Belfast in September. Unfortunately, observant supporters will struggle to attend the game as it's taking place on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Don't forget, you can catch up on all the latest Jewish sport at jewishnews.co.uk. 
Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Hello there and welcome to this episode of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's begin, as we usually do, with a look through your copy of The Jewish News for this week, except, and there is a massive exception, that the focus is going to be on the biggest night of the year in living memory. Yes, I am talking about the Night of Heroes. And to review it with me is editor Richard Ferrer and news editor Justin Cohen. And gentlemen, what a triumph. I wasn't even there, but I saw the photos, I saw the videos, and what an extraordinary night. It was the night Wigan beat Man City in the FA Cup. And you know who was trending ahead of Wigan, Man City or Aguero, who's a Manchester City player? Night of Heroes, the hashtag. It was a a phenomenon. The whole point of the event, and I I feel like it's remiss of me to be talking when Justin's in the room because this was Justin's project from start to finish. So I should shut up, but I won't. But (laughs) what, what what I will say is the whole point of this was to celebrate the community in the eyes of the rest of Britain to show Britain what an amazing place Jewish Britain is. And I I think we really think we succeeded. The celebrities, the tears, the cheers, the emotion, the heartache. Seriously, if if this podcast went on for another three hours, I could barely scrape the surface. But what I will do is throw over to the great man himself to to give you some some more context and and more information. Well, what I do want to do, Justin, is I want to establish just before we get into the night itself, the genesis of the night. Where did the idea come from? It all started about two and a half years ago when I was kind of watching and reflecting on the Mirrors Pride of Britain Awards, obviously something that's been going for quite a while now, uh, something that I really thought could be well captured and would fit in very well in the Jewish community, Callan, knowing about all the great projects that take place in this community, having had the opportunity over many years to attend so many different Jewish events, different charity events, and seeing the full breadth of the community at each individual thing, I thought to bring it all together in some kind of night that includes celebrity, includes, as Richard said, some laughs and and some some emotion as well, could be particularly powerful. I, I think that I was hoping... And, and, and what I had in my head all that time, uh, kind of, I, I was really hoping could produce a bit of a ripple within the community, would be exciting for the community. I certainly never expected the kind of reaction we've received this week. Total wall-to-wall applause from all sorts of people. Not a single complaint, which is a bit worrying from a Jewish audience. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) You've obviously done something right. Well done. Well, I mean, I don't want to put a dampener on it, but I do have to ask the question, because there are so many award ceremonies out there, and not to quote a famous phrase, but what makes that night different from all others, would you say? (laughs) Why did we need the Night of Heroes, do you think? That's that's in a few months' time, that, that question uh, it is your absolute, yeah. it's even a few weeks actually i hate to tell you it's it, even nearer than that but yes I, I think that it had a certain amount of uh, of glamour about it we've always wanted to honor heroes in the community ordinary people doing extraordinary things we've had the annual community hero award with mitzvah day every november for the last several years but again part of the reason for us wanting to do this was to really put these people front and centre and to give them the kind of limelight and the kind of glamour and the kind of glitter that I felt was befitting of these kind of people and what they've done. I think the videos that we were able to produce about each of the finalists was a very special factor and really lifted the evening perhaps above anything else we've done before. There are so many people we could thank but inspired films that produced each of those 17 films in about nine weeks including the research was quite remarkable. 
And those films, Richard, some of them, if not all of them, are on the Jewish News website. If you look at them, they are all up there, and they are all absolute testimonials to these people and their achievements and to the night. It was it was telling because you had David Walliams, the the famous comedian, who went totally off script towards the end. Was just saying how you know moved and inspired he'd been, and then the next morning he tweeted out about how proud he'd been to be involved. You had Dermot O'Leary, the X Factor presenter, on stage giving an award out, and he. He said something along the lines of this makes me proud to be a London or this makes me proud to be British. It was that moment when you realise that the positivity in the Jewish community, the family values, the, the, the academic values, the, you know, the care for the elderly and the young, the care for the handicapped and the less able, all these things were a microcosm on that special night. And, and to see that through the eyes of these people who were household names, it was, it was pretty unique. Can we clarify something at this stage? You mentioned Dermot O'Leary, but I couldn't help but notice there's something that's cropped up online about him and something to do with the Haftarah. Uh, What's that? <laughs> yeah, um, I, he may have had this one script written for him, but when right. he went up, he, he looked around the room and he said, oh, this reminds me of my bar mitzvah. Yes, I did the Mufti and the Haftarah, and it got a massive, <laughs> huge, huge laugh. Excellent. We, there we, we go. We just had to clarify that. Yeah, so we, we should credit... I of Badil for the scripts, both for David and for Dermot. And yeah, I think that, that David really seemed to warm up increasingly through the night, so amenable to autographs and to photographs, and we had lots of kids in the room. And that was another aspect that was perhaps different from other awards ceremonies. You, you wouldn't normally have any children at a Jewish community dinner, you just wouldn't. And the other aspect is that unlike, you know, the Jewish care dinner, the Nord dinner, whatever, you had lots of different charities taking tables they were able to buy tickets and then kind of donate the proceeds back to their charity so effectively it was a free night out they therefore were able to bring their staff and it meant that the people that are often on their feet running around as I was doing for a lot of Monday night at their own dinners and wouldn't go to other community dinners had the opportunity for the first time to just sit there the Jewish care table next to the, the, the work avenue table and the nightingale table they were all there in the room uh, and all together and all united and uh, yeah it was a, it was a perfect celebration it wasn't without a hitch I mean there were two or three notable problems David Williams uh, mispronunciation of Megillah uh, was a particular bugbear for me on the evening I won't even tell you how he tried to pronounce Nachus right it wasn't as guttural as my na- delivery did he say nachos or something uh, <laughs> so you know there were some hiccups but no it was it was a night of laughs a night of joy the highlight I think for many was Tony Blair giving Lord Sachs, the Lifetime Achievement Award. Tony Blair got the most rapturous applause. And then the Times newspaper wrote this week that how uncommon that would be for Tony Blair in the last 15 years to ever go anywhere and get rapturous applause. And Tony Blair actually himself said, oh, I'm not used to this uh, when he got on stage and, and, and there were loads of selfies and he stuck around for ages afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, the more, the more you reflect, the more you remember. Justin, tell us about some of the award winners, because we've heard just now, obviously, from Richard, that Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs got a Lifetime Achievement Award. But what about some of the other worthy winners? Yeah, the other winners include Natasha Kaplinsky, the newsreader who has spent the last few years dedicating a lot of her spare time to interviewing 112 Holocaust survivors and liberators recording their testimony for the first time, making sure that as part of the Holocaust Commission and David Cameron's vision, that their stories are recorded for forever and never forgotten. 
We had three young heroes that were finalists on the night, all of whom have overcome personal or family adversity in some way to fundraise or just to be inspirational people. And we announced uh, to the great delight, I think, of the whole room that all three of them were going to be Night of Heroes winners on the night. So they all went up, announced by Stacey Solomon, another one of our celebrities on the night. We also had an Israel Hero Award and they all actually flew in for the ceremony. We had two doctors, the lead doctor on Save a Child's Heart, Dr. Leo Sasson. We had a senior doctor at Sharia Tzedek uh, Hospital in Jerusalem, Dr. Uh, Ofer Merin. And also the parents of Shira Banki, who's the teenager who was killed at the Gay Pride Parade in Jerusalem a couple of years ago. They've done some incredible work on coexistence within Israel over the last couple of years. And, and it was amazing to have them all in the room. And we had a video from President Rivlin announcing the winner as Dr. Leo Sasson. And that was actually presented by the Brighton and Israel international footballer, Tomer Hemed alongside our headline partners for the night who were sponsoring that particular award as well, Labs. So they, they were able to present that as well. Let's not forget the videos, which, I mean, any of the any of our listeners that weren't amongst the 500 or so that were there, and if we do it again, we'll, we'll probably hire out the Millennium Stadium or <laughs> Wembley Arena or something. Ideally, uh, there are some amazing videos, and all the people that were nominated had testimonials, the likes of Gordon Brown, Ed Balls, who else were appearing? Archbishop of Canterbury is on the videos. Yes, yeah, Gordon Brown, um, Amber Rudd, uh, Johnny Peacock, the gold medal yeah, Olympian. For Rio Wolf, the boy who uh, hopefully will run for Britain in the Paralympics one day. The one they nicknamed Baby Blake. That's the one. I could talk about this with you, gentlemen, indefinitely. However, we are pretty much out of time, but there is going to be one question on everybody's lips. Could this come back again? Is it going to be an annual occurrence? We would, I, I, we would like it to happen again. Uh, we will see. I'm sure uh, this program will be where we reveal that decision. We're, 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 look, uh, there's, there's been a lot of positivity from the community. A lot of people want it to come back. Can I also, just before we finish, say a few final thank yous. First of all, two labs, our headline partner and Teddy Saggy, who's the owner of that company, to the JLC as our communal partner, the Genesis Philanthropy Group, who sponsored the videos, and many other award sponsors on the night, as well as everyone who came. And the stylist at the hairdressers where my wife got her hair done and the personal shopper at Selfridges where I got my new suit. Thank you both very much indeed. That's all we've got time for, for not only a look at the paper, but technically a look at the Night of Heroes for 2018. Hopefully it will be back one day, though, and we will talk about it some more when it does. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And still to come on this edition, Clive Roslin will be here for our Jewish schmooze. Today, Clive and Tony will be joined by Education Coordinator for West London Synagogue, Jane Goff, and Corporate Presenter, Jeremy Jacobs. They'll be talking Talking about Jewish heroes as inspired by the Night of Heroes for 2018, we thought we'd look at some of the heroes from Jewish history. Plus, Diana Toman is back, we are absolutely delighted to say, and she will be speaking to Richard Verber from World Jewish Relief, but not to do with his role in World Jewish Relief, but actually from his role on the Board of Deputies, as he has announced he is to step down from it. So Diana will be finding out why that is the case and why now as well. But first, I think it's fair to say that as Jews, we are well and truly aware of the fascism faced by our community in the 1920s and the 1930s. 
But that's primarily associated with Hitler and his rise to power. But what about what was going on over in Italy under the rule of Mussolini? Well, that's exactly what a new book by author Caroline Moorhead is looking at when she talks about a bold and dangerous family. It is set during the rise of anti-fascism in that era. And arts editor Kate Fulton has been finding out more for us by speaking to the author herself. Kate started by asking Caroline to tell us exactly who is this bold and dangerous family. The family are called Rosselli. There's a mother called Amelia and two sons, Carlo and Nello. And they were dangerous because very early on, long before the anti-fascist resistance had got going, they began to oppose Mussolini. And as the months and years went by, they became more and more dangerous to him. So that we can understand, what was it like for ordinary people, life under Mussolini? We sort of have sometimes an image of what life under Hitler was like because we tend to, our lot tend to talk about it probably more. Was it that different and what are the sort of similarities and differences? I think it was very different. Life in Italy was very different from life in Germany. But Mussolini, it seems to me, has always got away with things. It's always been assumed that he was somehow the, the lovable easier face of fascism. It's perfectly true that people were not persecuted in quite the same way. But what I think is hardly known is the fact that all during the 20s and 30s, when fascism was at its peak, people were being arrested all the time, tried in summary cases, and sent off to the penal colonies just off Sicily. And this, some 15,000 people were sent there in 10 years. And these were, if you like, the intelligentsia. They were the lawyers and they were the doctors and they were the university teachers. Anybody who had made any degree of opposition to Mussolini was sent off. That was the, if you like, the softer face of it, because there were also Mussolini's squadristi, who were his militiamen, and they were extremely violent. They went out on punitive expeditions. They called them punitive expeditions, all around the Italian countryside armed with a particularly Italian instrument called a manganello, which was a, a sort of kosh with sort of little bits of iron coming out of it. And they went around the countryside and they beat up anybody who they, whose opinions they didn't like. And they fed them with castor oil, with all the obvious consequences. And there were quite a lot of people killed, but more than anything, it instilled a sense of terror and fear. I want to go into the family and talk a bit about that. Before we do, just a bit about you and about your background. You, you have a connection with Rome or with Italy. I grew up in Italy. My father was Australian. He hated the English weather. After the particularly terrible rainy summer of 1956, we moved definitively to Italy. I'd lived a little bit before that in Fiesole. And after that, I, we were in Rome. And then my father built a house in southern Tuscany. So I didn't really come to England till I was about 17. Did that nurture a sense of an interest in, in the history of, of Mussolini? Did you want to, to find out what had happened or did you have some other, was, it, was there a reason that you were particularly interested? No, that came later. I was longing to be English. So I came back and went to university in London. And the first books I did, I, I worked as a journalist, first on The Times and then on The Independent. The first books I did were all biographies. But about 10 years ago, I began to drift in the direction of social history. And I wrote a book about a French woman, which was really a sort of social history of the revolution. 
And then somebody sent me a book about a French woman, or written by a French woman called Charlotte Delbo, who had been on a train to Auschwitz. She'd been one of a group of French resistors. So I was drawn into resistance. And having written that, I was drawn into more French resistance. And then I thought, no, I'm going to stop now. And then I thought, I wonder what they were doing in Italy. So I was drawn over to Italian resistance. And I am now writing what is positively the last, which is the fourth in the series, which is about the Italian partisans. All right. I will definitely want to talk to you about that next time. But going back to our our family, what was it about them that they, what were they doing, first of all, by way of resistance? And why were they very special? Amelia, the mother, was Venetian. And their father had strong ties with England, but was Italian. And both families had grown up with, if you like, the myth or the story of the Risorgimento, Italy's unification. Both of them were, if you like, patriots of that particular generation, the unification of Italy. They were followers of Mazzini, and they were they were intensely moral figures, by which I don't mean that they were sort of boring and straight-laced, but they had a... They grew up with a, with a fear, feelings of heroism, that you had to behave well and be responsible. Amelia split up from her husband when the boys were very... Her three sons were very small. And she started life again, as it were, in Florence in 1903. She was a playwright. She was a successful playwright. And so she earned their living, if you like, through her plays. And then there was a bit of family money. And so she had these three sons who she brought up to be, if you like, patriots. The first son, the eldest boy, Aldo, was killed in the First World War, which was a terrible blow for all of them. The two younger boys were just in time to go into the army, but they didn't see any service. And in 1919, they came back to Florence, and they happened to fall in with an amazing Italian historian called Salvemini, And Salvemini was passionately against the fascists. And he gathered around him a sort of nucleus of these young men who'd come back from the war. And even as fascism began to emerge and Mussolini began to become a dictator, so these young men began to formulate anti-fascism. And they set up a club in Florence, a sort of association to which people went and they had talks and so on. And meanwhile, by 1924, Mussolini was in power and they were putting up posters on the walls and writing leaflets and so on and so forth. And then in 1924, there was this great event which changed things for the opposition in Italy, which was that there was a a senator, a left-wing senator called Mattiotti. And in the summer of 1944, he was kidnapped. And... Nobody quite knew who had kidnapped him, but the assumption was that the that the fascists had taken him because he had just announced he was going to be producing this report on fascist brutality. And his body turned up um, six weeks later, which had clearly been murdered, and it was absolutely clear that the government was involved. And for about four or five months, sort of fascism faltered because the Italians were outraged. They'd been able to accept a lot of other things, but this was going too far. And then in January 1925, Mussolini did something unbelievably clever. He got up in Parliament and he said, it's all my fault. I, of course, knew nothing about the Matteotti murder, but everything that's going on in Italy at the moment, all this chaos is my fault. But I alone could do something about it. 
and I will restore order to Italy. And at that moment, the dictatorship. So he he became the person that they all... I mean, just in case anybody's under any illusion, this is definitely a work of fact, not fiction. I should have said that right at the outset, that, that this is all. How did you stumble across the evidence, or did you stumble across it, or did you go looking for it for to, to find out about these characters to make them into real people? I was very lucky. I mean, I think um, writers are very often very, very lucky. I was looking for a new subject after I'd finished the second French book, and I was in the British Library, and I was reading, and I knew about these two brothers. I didn't know anything about their mother. And I saw a little footnote which said that she'd just written, she'd written memoirs which had never been published, but they'd just been brought out in Italy. So the British Library being so brilliant, they had them, and nobody had ever read them clearly. And I took them out and I started to read and I thought, this is how I can do it. Because it's, it, it, the family themselves were very, very close, and they were letter writers. So I soon discovered that they, there were a lot of letters between them, and they had appeared in a collection. So I read the collection. I thought it was really interesting. So I went to see the man who put together the collection. And I said to him, you know, how many of their letters did you not in fact use? And he said, oh, I used all the good ones. There wasn't anything else. So I thought, oh, well. But I went to the foundation in Turin and said to the woman there, thinking I've allowed too much time because there's not anything here. I said to the woman, um, how many letters, roughly, did they all write to each other? And she thought for a long time, and she said, well, we think there are between eight and 10,000. Mm, gosh, <laughs> I just picked off a few. And there's there's a lot of, I won't say your, your material, but certainly something for, for you to, to work at. Because there were, I mean, Amelia taught the three boys to write to her and to each other from the time then they could start writing. So, and then they wrote to each other virtually every day wherever they were. And since the two brothers were often in different parts of Italy, in detention, in prison, on the islands, in exile, there were letters between the three of them virtually every day for 20 years. Extraordinary. The book is out now, A Bold and Dangerous Family. I understand that you're coming to speak at Jewish Book Week. And uh, just to, do, you, do you remember where, when, and we can come and hear you? It's on the Sunday, the 11th of March, and I think it's at 630 I don't know about you, but I find it all really rather fascinating. I'm slightly ashamed to admit that because there's so much emphasis that has rightly so been placed on everything that was going on under the rule of the Nazis, I am so unaware of all that happened under Mussolini. Even though, yes, I know about it, even though I know, yes, there are history books on it and that I should read up more about it, I feel as if I've almost given so much, if not all of my attention, to learning about the Holocaust that I wasn't really completely aware of what life was like under the rule of Mussolini. I look forward to reading that book myself. That was Caroline Moorhead speaking to arts editor Kate Fulton about her book, A Bold and Dangerous Family. For more information, then you can go to our website, jewishviews.co.uk. You are listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. And coming up a bit later will be our rabbinic thought for the week by Rabbi Ben Kurzer. 
Ahead of that will be our Jewish schmooze. Don't forget, we live stream our schmooze on our Facebook page every Wednesday lunchtime from 12.30pm. All you have to do is go to facebook.com forward slash the Jewish views and you'll be able to watch the live stream of the programme for yourself. And it also gives you the opportunity to comment along as the discussion unfolds. And please do get in contact. We genuinely love to hear your views. You are very welcome to talk about not only what you hear in the schmooze, but any of the stories that we feature in the Jewish Views, you can simply email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or, of course, you can contact us via Twitter and our Twitter handle is at jewishviewsuk. Now, there probably aren't many people out there who haven't heard of Richard Verber. He is without doubt one of the most promising and prominent members of our community, not just for his incredible work with World Jewish Relief, but also the time and dedication he spends to the Board of Deputies as one of their youngest senior vice presidents. He has recently announced that he is to step down from his role on the Board of Deputies. And to find out the reasons why, our wonderful friend, colleague and community editor Diana Toman is back. If you are a regular listener of The Jewish Views, you may have noticed Diana Toman has been away for the past few weeks. But all of us here are absolutely delighted to say that she is back with us once more. And she's been speaking to Richard Verber. Richard, I know your tenure, if I can call it that, as... Vice President of the Board of Deputies ends in May. Yes. You've been there for three years from 2015, I think it was, wasn't it, that you were elected on a huge mandate as being the youngest of the Vice Presidents ever to be elected, which is really something. But we'll get round to that later, talking about that. Most politicians actually make the excuse that they want to resign in order to have more time for their family. (laughs) And in your case, that's actually true, isn't it? (laughs) Well, firstly, I don't think I'm a politician. So good news is that I haven't got any scandals behind me. And goodness me, we are not (laughs) short of scandal at the moment, whether it's the political sphere, the international development sphere, or sadly, the Jewish community sphere. No, you're absolutely right. Having a little baby just seven months ago changed my life, as I would imagine, many listeners can relate to and yeah the choice is really do I want to continue what I've loved doing at the Board of Deputies top of a busy day job at World Jewish Relief or spend more time with her and she's just I think objectively the world's cutest baby so uh, I've chosen to step down. So it's a no-brainer actually. Absolutely. <laughs> right. This has coincided with the proposed resignation of the president of the board Jonathan Arkush has that influenced you in any way? Well, I had already decided that I would step down before Jonathan made his shocking, I think, announcement. And he's a president who'll be sorely missed, having consulted with my wife, my family, colleagues at work. So it's not actually related, although you're right, it comes just after Jonathan made his announcement. So there are going to be two vacancies, in fact. Yeah, it's very exciting. Very exciting. The contenders are starting to rear their heads. I have no idea which way it's going to go. I think Labrooks are going to start taking odds. <laughs> Actually, that leads us on to what you've said in various articles that you've been writing about that you actually want to start involving a different type of candidate, that you're hoping to get a younger candidate or one that is not so tied to what you call traditional timetables. In other words, you know, that people who are perhaps retired or semi-retired won't have to rush home and change the nappies. (laughs) Well, of course, democracy is core to the Board of Deputies of British Jews, and it will be down to deputies and deputies alone 
to elect their president and indeed the vice presidents. I think what I'm trying to say, I think what I've stood for is to show that younger people can get involved if they really put their minds to it. But I've also reached a stage in my life where there are other things competing for my time. So on top of a, a busy job, my commitment to the Board of Deputies and now nappies. And it turns out nappies are much harder than they look. <laughs> so I'm going to be using some of my time off to perfect that particular perfect, technique. Right. Um, you also say that in today's challenging third sector climate, we need to harness the talent that you've just been talking about. Can you expand on what the third sector climate is? Yeah, I think by that I mean the charity sector, both within the Jewish community and outside. It's no secret that the charity world over the last year or two has been rocked by various scandals. It's a tricky climate at the moment and people are rightly starting to ask questions about how charities operate. Charities should not be above the law in in any sense, the legal sense clearly, but also charities need to be cleaner than clean. And I think that's right. And I think anybody should be allowed to ask a question of how their charity operates. The good news is that within the Jewish community, I would say the vast majority of our Jewish charities are very well run, both on a professional level and at a lay level. We haven't seen gregarious examples of, of malpractice, thank goodness, generally speaking. So I think that's that's what I mean. We need we need trustees, we need volunteers who've got the time and the skills to be able to help these charities run efficiently. Board of Deputies is now very well run professional staff team who have a tough job you know the board of deputies needs to raise well over a million pounds every year to to operate we do that through a number of different means we have a charity dinner we have a few smaller events during the year but the main bulk of our income comes from what we call the communal contribution it's a 30 pound optional levy that's put onto many synagogues bills we think that represents extraordinarily good value for money you know this is the organization that speaks on behalf of the british jewish community to the government to the media and to other faith groups and you will not have gone a single week this year and indeed the three years that jonathan myself and the other vice presidents have been in charge without seeing us in the paper whether that's just this week alone defending the rights for Babies to be circumcised, Brit Mila under attack in Iceland. Jonathan was on Newsnights, you know, the prime BBC news programme to defend it. This is what the new look Board of Deputies of British Jews is doing. How would you describe your role actually on the board as a trustee? And what would you say you're going to miss the most? Is it in fact working with a team of colleagues that you respect and admire? Yeah, I've loved it, you know. Deputies represent synagogues and Jewish organisations from across the religious and political spectrum, so we are never short of a few dissenting opinions, but that's part and parcel of being involved in the communal organisation. Everybody believes that they know what's best for the Jewish community, of course, and the only person who's correct is, is my wife. But it's worth listening to all these other opinions, because collectively what we have to do as trustees, as you say, is to represent the British Jewish community's view that's really hard. We have all sorts of different views, whether Quite. that's on schooling or Israel or fighting anti-Semitism, all important issues. And we've got to find a way that we can harness a different views and then tell the government, the media, etc., what Jews think. Not always easy, but very rewarding. And I'll miss the people. Absolutely. You will. Yes, I'm sure. 
how will you go? Well, it won't be you, I suppose. It'll be your successor who goes around trying to find the younger members of the community to become trustees. And how would they how would they start to do that? Yes. How would they get the foot on the first rung of the ladder? That's a great question. Something that actually, when I was elected three years ago, campaigning strongly on, that we need to have a broad range of ages, of opinions, of backgrounds. That does not mean that we want to get rid of older people, far from it. We absolutely benefit from their wisdom and expertise. But when you look at the Jewish community represented at the Board of Deputies, we are on average 61 years old. Now, the Jewish community is not on average 61 years old. We need more young people at the Board of Deputies. The best way to do that is to speak to your synagogue or speak to a whole range of Jewish charities, which are also represented, such as World Jewish Relief, and ask to stand for election. You know, everybody who's a deputy is elected by their particular community, sometimes a very, very competitive election. And that's great. The more excitement there is in the community, the more coveted the position of being a deputy will be, and rightly so. We need to make sure that UJS consistently sends all of its representatives. They have 12 reserved for them. Each youth movement is allowed to send deputies as well. We need to make sure that as many young people as possible are excited by this opportunity to come and tell us old people now, because frankly, I'm no longer one of the young people anymore. It's very sad to see. And I've got to make sure that I am not the youngest vice president forever. I very much want my so-called record that stood for 258 years to be taken away. Because if I am the only young person to, to be elected, then I will have failed. But I'm very confident in the number of young people who are who are volunteering in all sorts of capacities in the Jewish community in the moment. And I dare say it won't be long before my record's taken away. Tell me about your most memorable event, if you like, while you were a trustee on the board. So many. Probably meeting lots of my European Jewish counterparts. So the British Jewish community is one of the largest in Europe. And what we will always try and do is to support them as best we can. So if a community, let's say the Belgian Jewish community, for example, is having a problem either with anti-Semitism, which they've had sadly over the last few years, attacks on Jews... Jewish deaths, tragically, Brussels Museum, or Shechita trying to be trying to be banned. Then we will use our uh, our weight here. We'll meet various ambassadors who are always happy to meet the board of deputies. In fact, I'm meeting the Polish ambassador just next week to show our community's deep concerns uh, about this so-called Holocaust bill that's 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 been passed by the government there. So yeah, I would probably say that a chance to support not just the British Jewish community but the wider European Jewish community as well. Richard Verber of World Jewish Relief telling community editor Diana Toman there why he has taken the decision to step down from his position on the Board of Deputies. From all of us to him, Mazeltov on his recently extended family. You're listening to The Jewish Views and this is The Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. And joining Tony Honigberg and me today are Education Coordinator for West London Synagogue, Jane Goff, and Corporate Presenter, Jeremy Jacobs. The subject for this edition is based on the Jewish News Night of Heroes event that took place this week. The question is, who are our Jewish heroes and who do we believe have been some of the greatest Jews to have lived? Let's start with you, Jane. Would you say there was anyone in particular who ultimately led you to want to convert to Judaism in the first place? No, I don't think there was a particular person, but 
the people that I admired were Goldie Meyer and Ben Gurion and all the old the people that went out and worked and made it into the wonderful land it is now. I think Israel, they, yes. yes, they were they were heroes of mine. And then people that got on with their lives very quietly but were creating something wonderful. You know, the everyday person who was digging or buying or selling and just that kind of commitment I, I admire so much. I also like people like Regina Jonas, the first female rabbi who died in one of the camps. I tend to be a bit old school. I'm sure there's lots of wonderful modern heroes. You could, you could of course, also remember one of my great heroes was, and I believed as a child because of the way my grandfather, who was a rabbi, taught me, that he was my relation of mine he was Queen Esther's uncle oh yes 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 I offer what was his name um it was Haman wasn't it for Mordechai the, Mordechai Mordechai, Mordechai. Yes. yeah yes. yeah he was well she is thank you for reminding me I mean Esther herself was amazing to go before the king to risk her life well she was there you yeah. are yeah I mean there's great biblical heroes but then, and, but then you've got modern I was actually at the Night of Heroes yeah. event on Monday night which was brilliant there are so many people in current modern day that do so much that don't want recognition, don't need recognition, but they got some recognition on Monday night. How the judges choose between all the categories and who deserves recognition must be so difficult. I would hate to be a judge. But we've got modern people in the modern time, people now, who are, do deserve recognition. How do I go into this? I mean, my daughter-in-law started a school for children with special needs because in the Jewish community there wasn't a school for special needs. Mm. And that started. There was one that won, which is the Hammerson House Nightingale group. They're called Apples and Honey. They won an award. Mm. And it's where they put old people with youngsters and they both learn from each other. The older mm. people are teaching youngsters mm. cooking skills and the youngsters are teaching older people patience, you know, because we yeah. do get a bit grumpy when we're old. Some of us are grumpy when we were young, but mm. even you could go back in the entertainment industry or science. What about Albert Einstein? He was a hero. Yeah. Well, it, it goes on forever. It can actually, do, yes. Because there right. were so many of them. Mm. I was just thinking there, actually. Coming from Margate, next door we had Ramsgate, obviously, and... Uh, I think Sir Moses Montefiore would have been a fantastic guy. He was like the Bill Gates of the last century, probably. And then I was thinking about Jewish sports heroes. Who was a racing driver? Jody Schechter. And who was the Israeli footballer who played for West Ham? What was it? Mordecai Spiegler, was it? I'm going back a bit. And uh, but what about Anne See, Frank? They are heroes, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was I, one thing that bothered me. I, I saw a picture of Anne Frank with her mother on the beach at Scheveningen, and it could have been it could have been from the 1960s. Mm. And I thought, God. Just a few a few years later, she, she was dead. Mm. Was that was that, that sort of peculiar, yeah. peculiar photograph. But yeah, it, it, I mean, it's strange to say that because in in some ways, she was a hero. Yeah, of the Jewish people. She was a people. heroine. A heroine mm. of the Jewish yeah. people. Yes, yes, completely. My own father's a pretty good bloke, you know. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> and, your uh, hero. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You know. But and, what um, makes someone a hero? Or is it just is it just a personal thing between is us? It, is it just because? I'm Jewish that I think this, but it does occur to me that some of the people you've mentioned, Einstein, people like that, Jews have had a tremendous influence on the world, physics. the world 
altogether. I mean, mm. more so than, am I wrong to say this, more so than any other group yes. of people, yeah. it seems to In be. such big numbers, mm. for such a small community. Yes, such yeah. Yeah. yes. Okay. yeah. yeah we, we, we make, have made an impact in every aspect of life. Yeah. Yeah. Is it perhaps because of persecution, do you think? This is a really big question, mm. isn't it? Because it's a actually asking about the chosenness. Is it, is it that we, because of persecution, we formed this extraordinary potential to do so much good in the world? Mm. Our children from West London Synagogue, Haida, went to the Science Museum, yep. particularly to look at the Jewish contribution to science, and they were blown away mm. because it's not spoken about that much. You know, Perhaps but we should uh, you know, blow our own trumpet a bit more. Perhaps we're, we're perhaps we're too. We're talking about self-effacing. All yeah. the all the mm. Jews in the world who who were most famous stars, if you like, of the Jewish world. But have there been any really bad Jews? It suddenly occurs to me. Ooh. Well, well, I mean, you had the 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 Jews, the accountants in the mafia and. In, in America, didn't you? Yeah. They, they were mainly the money men within... Oh, who were the... Siegel was one, you know. Uh, you could say it was a very good... <laughs> a good yeah. yeah. But I think they, they were the Jews in there the, also in our shooting. Was, was, was it the Capos in, in, in Poland? The Capos yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the concentration Possibly. camps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rightly yeah. or wrongly, the, the Rothschilds aren't favoured, are they, as heroes? You know, yeah. because they get taken down oh they've got all the money you know the jews they're financing the world and etc so it's very interesting of all a lot of the famous jews of of modern times by modern times I mean the last two or three hundred mm. years how many of those that are still being members of the say the rothschild family yeah. the rothschilds are the only ones who have stayed jewish and there's no other of those famous jews who is still Jewish. Well, I think they're mean. still Jewish. You know, yeah. there's are, a, they, are they Jewish or Jew? Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're Jewish these days. I think they, yeah. they used to say that the, the yeah. boys yeah. could only marry Jewish girls, the girls, the girls could girls marry. the didn't have to. Yeah, but yes. I think that's all changed now because I, I think some of the younger ones now are, are not Jewish anymore. <laughs> but they used to be. You're right, absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting thing as well because we went. To, I went to the National Portrait Gallery, which I love and I go quite frequently, and there their images and portraits of Jewish people, I think, is about two. Hmm. And yet apparently they've got quite a few in their archive, you know, which we don't see. But maybe it is something to always keep in a low profile and people not wishing to push us forward. I mean, not non-Jewish people not wishing. Hmm. I mean, why aren't there any more portraits of why, why are they not hung in the galleries yeah, yeah. rather than kept in the storerooms? Yeah. I yeah, mean, there's Disraeli, but he was he was a convert, wasn't he? To Christianity. Yeah, but Disraeli, Disraeli always called himself a Christian Jew. Jew. Yeah. Mm. Oh. And he always held the Jewish bit uh, because his father, you know why he yeah. became a Christian? Mm. Yeah. It was his father mm. who, because the... The Sephardi congregation in London absolutely insisted that the father paid a bigger subscription, and he was so furious he, <laughs> he converted. He, he had his son. <laughs> that's, that's, a, I know. That's, that's a real Jewish story. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. I love but that it's one. True. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was down at Hewenden Manor just a few months ago. It's a great, great place, isn't it? Mm. Where he used to yes, be. lovely, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, what about books. if you if you go back to I don't know middle eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds, in all those little shtetls out in Russia and the and the Pale of Settlement, 
these people's heroes were probably people within their own little communities. Yeah. It could have been the rabbi. It could have been Tevye the milkman. You know, they probably had their own heroes there. Yeah. And but we but because of the wider world now and communication, and everything else, yeah. we're we're looking at you know Al Jolson, you know, hero. Well, yes, the world of entertainment mm. is absolutely full of Jews. Isn't Bob it? Dylan. He sort of walked the, walked the Dylan, line on a couple Bob of other Dylan things. Bob Dylan actually but. is very interesting because he became a Christian. And then became a Jew again, he did, didn't he? Yeah. 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 With with that in mind, who are our personal heroes who might not necessarily be that famous? Who's sure. your personal hero, Clive? My personal hero, yeah. I've already told you. My Is personal hero goes way, way back to Mordecai. To Mordecai. Mm. And um, in more modern times, I have to think about it. I think the Disraeli is one of my group. I, I think the world of Disraeli. And, and of course your grandfather who I know you oh, adored. Oh, well, my grandfather I absolutely without, adored. He was my own private yes, hero. Yes, exactly. Mm. And had the greatest influence on in my life. Yes. He I, was extraordinary. That's lovely. I've got a recent hero, and it's my brother, and he's received a knighthood in the January birthday honours. Oh, that's oh, nice. Really? And he got it, and this is... I mean, he's such a kind of uh, non... He's so modest, but he got it for his work with education and, and children's affairs and I was really proud because it's such oh, a you know and then it can't, and when you hear of all the actors and the which do a grand job mm. but you know knighthoods I mean it's refreshing when you hear people no I understand completely someone on the street getting one a of my one of my greatest heroes or heroines is my mother who was the first woman MP in what was then called Southern Rhodesia and became Zimbabwe and she led the opposition to that awful man Ian Smith mm, mm. who tried to turn Rhodesia into the same as South Africa yeah. was in those days so she's one of my great great heroes of the world of Judaism Some, someone called Stephen has Facebooked us I should say oh. he says Mel Brooks is one of his heroes <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can yeah. understand that yeah, yeah. Mark Brooks yeah. that's got me thinking actually because I just saw a clip from Young Frankenstein <laughs> so I saw you yeah, it was Marty Feldman yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant <laughs> yeah, great yeah. great Marty Feldman that's I, entertainment again I, I, I saw him yeah. being interviewed on television very recently Mel Brooks yeah, yeah. And he's 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 very 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 old. Nice. He must be well into his nineties. I, yeah. I think so. Yes, he yes. is. He's very, very funny, funny man. I think one of my my heroes of the current time is in my synagogue, Edgeware United. We needed a lot of new audio equipment, which actually they had agreed to pay for. I did all the costing. They had agreed to pay for it, and one member came up to me and said, "I would like to donate the money to that." But I want it to be anonymous, oh. and that person yeah. I think at the moment is my hero. Oh, that's good. nice. Yes, yeah. I, I, the, that's I, a real generous donation. This yeah. person should be anonymous, but there was a very, very famous Jew who gave money all over the place, only on condition that everything he gave money to had to be called after. <laughs> <laughs> that's very anonymous. I, wanna, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah. I think my. I mean, I'm very, very lucky to have two brilliant parents. So I suppose they're heroes of mine. But I don't have many. Jewish mm. heroes. My my heroes were like you know footballers or something, mm. or, or, or other people from from uh, the way the dim and distant past. I think going back to the beginning, like like because of the night of heroes that the, mm. the Jewish news did on Monday night, mm -hmm. some of these people that put themselves out for they're not doing it for recognition. They are doing it 
for the reward is that that it succeeds but, and and works and i think those are here but real isn't heroes. that the case with with all heroes that they never do it for themselves. No, I mean when Jeremy said about footballers, of course they're doing it for the job. And they they they're, they're sort of plastic heroes, aren't they? Rather than oh, we mustn't. Oh, that upset me. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a bit cruel. But I'm going back once when I was a kid. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, one. No, I'm sorry. I think that's being yeah. a bit cruel. It's 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 the same as people who make big names in show business. You could say they did it for their own, out of their own vanity, mm. but they had to have an immense talent. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm not saying right. the talent isn't there. Mm. Yeah. What made them your heroes as a kid then? What, the footballers? Yeah. I, was, I was just thinking about Tommy Cooper for the moment, actually. Completely oh. off, Tommy completely Cooper wasn't Jewish. I, know, yeah. I, I, I don't have many Jewish, I know, but he was one of my heroes. Look, it's not my fault I was brought up in a non-Jewish area. Just like, that, that, just like that. Just like whatever that <laughs> means. You were brought up in a Jewish home. But I was, well, yes and no, we weren't that particularly Jewish, you know. You, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. A Jewish home is a Jewish home, whether it's orthodox or whether you're from or, or not from, it doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. And you, yeah. and you have surely have a sort of people, every time a Jew is talked about in the paper who's done wonderful things, everybody in the family talks about him. Yeah. And if he's had up in court, everybody in the family says, oh, he's a Jew! <laughs> I've been interviewing, <laughs> I, I, I've been interviewing I a Jewish had, comedian just, recently, right, yeah. uh, uh, which I'm still transcribing, but he said one thing. He said that whatever level of orthodoxy you are, whether you're progressive or not progressive, reform or, or, or Haredi... Secular. Or secular, okay. you, still ha you still are Jewish, and you look at people that do something more than you and say, gosh, they're my sugar for them, or you look at someone that does less than you and say, <laughs> what are they, you know? So you know, it, it's all relevant, it's all relative yeah. to where you are. Okay. We've got one from Alfie Ferguson who says, Stan Lee, Marvel Comics, Black Panther creator... His hero, Jerry Anderson, did thund the yeah. Thunderbirds. Yeah. There we go. And yeah. there we'll yeah. have to stop, unfortunately. Mm. I think we could go on all day <laughs> about, could. about yeah. that, but there we are. My thanks to our guests, Education Coordinator for West London Synagogue, Jane Goff, and Corporate Presenter, Jeremy Jacobs. Please do feel free to share your Jewish views with us. You can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash the Jewish Views or on Twitter, we are at Jewish Views UK. And of course, those details can be found on our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Time now for our rabbinic thought for the week, and this time it comes from Rabbi Ben Kurzer from Edgware United Synagogue. Randomness is a difficult thing to pin down. Even things we may think are random, such as whether a coin lands on heads or tails, may actually have a small bias to one or the other. Colloquially, we may refer to things as random just because they are odd. But leaving aside the definition of randomness, the Torah this week talks about randomness as it is perceived by human beings. In the run-up to Purim, we read three short verses known as Parshat Zachor. They speak about Amalek, the Jewish people's arch enemy. There are many terrible things associated with Amalek, not least of which was their tactic of attacking the weakest first. Yet the description the Torah gives of their evil is that they focused on chance. They looked at all the miracles God had done for the Jews, saw how he had destroyed their enemies, and while everyone in the world was scared to attack, Amalek claimed that it had all been chance, 
so they decided to attack the Jews as well. Why do we choose to focus on this? Why is their obsession with randomness so bad? Imagine for a moment winning an Olympic gold medal. The hours of training, physical exertion and mental preparation are all worth it now that the goal has been realised. But as the news begins to report your story, there is one word that crops up again and again. Lucky. You were lucky to win, they say. Just pure luck. It was chance that you won your medal. It would hurt. Deeply. With one simple word, these writers in their comfortable living rooms have swept away months and years of your immense efforts into irrelevance. It's easy for them to say, what about all your effort? Chance is the enemy of reason. When we attribute things to chance, they become unexplainable and lack meaning. And if our actions are meaningless, then there is no reason to be good in this world. We may as well just do whatever satisfies our momentary desires. If, on the other hand, we seek the reason behind the perceived randomness, we will find a world that blossoms in beauty. Just as what appears to be a random sequence of musical notes on paper becomes a stunning symphony when played by an orchestra. This is the view taken by Judaism, and this is the message of Purim. Purim is the festival of an unlikely Jewish victory, a celebrated heroine and thwarting base anti-Semitism. Yet it is not named after any of those things. Rather it is called Purim al-Shem Hapur, after the lottery that Haman used to fix a time to wipe out the Jews. We mock the fact that any of this was by chance. All of it, right down to Haman's lottery, was carefully guided by the hand of God. God's name is not mentioned throughout the Megillah story, but we choose to see his hand throughout. And in recognising the deliberate design of the world we live in, we appreciate how meaningful our every action is and what an impact it can have, either for bad or for good. Purim is the time when we search for God where he is hidden, in the world around us, in our lives, and most importantly, in ourselves. It's curious. I don't know whether or not I've ever personally stopped to think that anything happens by chance or whether or not there is some sort of intention behind it because I am such a personal believer of what will be will be. I guess that I just don't stop and think about things like that. However, it is interesting if you do stop and analyse even something as mundane as the flip of a coin, could it be more to it than meets the eye? One way or another, I'll let you think about that and say thank you very much indeed to Rabbi Ben Kurzer from Edgeway United Synagogue with our thought for the week. And that is almost all the Jewish views we have time for. However, there are a couple of comments that we didn't get the chance to read out during our schmooze and they have come in rather late. So instead, I should try and read out some of them now for you. And thank you very much to Les, who says that his personal hero is Bibi Netanyahu. Ari has said that his hero is Golda. I assume he's talking about Golda Meir. And Brian has said that there is a German Jewish man that was awarded the Iron Cross during World War One. He used to show for him around in his London taxi cab. So there you go. That's apparently who his hero is. Thank you all very much indeed for your comments. And we're sorry that we didn't read them out during the schmooze, but hopefully that's better than not reading them out at all. And you can always comment along as well if you go to facebook.com forward slash the Jewish views. That really is all the Jewish views we have time for. Thank you very much goes to all of our guests. Thank you to Caroline Moorhead talking about her book, A Bold and Dangerous Family. To Richard Verber telling us why he is stepping down from his role on the board of deputies. Thank you to all of our other contributors. And of course, to you at home for 
for listening. And we mustn't forget the team, including our producer, Sue Greenberg. You can always listen to the most recent edition of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk, where you'll also find the facility to listen to all previous episodes as well. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News. And just before we go, you might want to tune into next week's programme because we're about to make a rather big announcement of our own. I'll let you ponder over that. I'm Phil Dave. Till next time. Bye bye.